0: From the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team, this is Nebraska Farmcast. I'm Ryan Evans, here today with Dave Aiken, a professor and water and agricultural law specialist in the Department of Agricultural Economics at UNL. He's published a new article on our website, farm.unl.edu, that looks at an issue that is really making its way onto the radar of many producers across Nebraska right now. That is carbon markets and carbon banks. So hi, Dave. Hey, how are you, Ryan? Doing well, thank you. And you? Good. Good. Uh, so we know from our extension work right now, a lot of farmers and ranchers across Nebraska are becoming more curious about carbon markets, carbon offsets, carbon banking. And it, you write that some producers are receiving offers for payment right now for increasing their carbon storage. And we're going to work to explain these programs a bit more but first, why is this coming to the forefront right now?
1: Well, uh, for President Biden, it's a really big uh, domestic and international priority him for the United States to achieve uh, carbon neutrality by the year 2050, including agriculture. And that means that uh, as a country, we will have Uh, net zero emissions of greenhouse gases uh, from burning uh, fossil fuels. And because agriculture has significant potential for storing additional carbon uh, in the soil uh, of farms and ranches, uh, some uh, groups, some speculators are uh, experimenting with uh, these carbon markets to try to get ready for uh, when this take off, this takes off, which may happen in the next year or so.
0: Interesting. And you list in your article that's up now, eight practices that hold the greatest potential for storing greenhouse gases in soil. Can you talk about some that are the most profitable and why?
1: Okay. Um, there, yeah, there's a big study that was done, uh, that looked at a variety of practices, you know, uh, and and the greatest potential in terms of the tons of uh, carbon that can be stored would be things like uh, uh, reforestation, uh, forest management, uh, avoiding uh, converting uh, grasslands to cropland, uh, planting cover crops, uh, and these types of things. Um, But when they put uh, cost estimates on them, uh, the most uh, cost effective were uh, cover crops, uh, avoiding uh, taking land out of forests uh, and avoid, avoiding uh, converting grassland to cropland.
0: A number of options for producers, and uh, they're eligible to be paid for these carbon offsets, but who is buying them?
1: Okay, well, it depends. It depends on whether they're purchased uh, for uh, voluntarily, and, and I think that's what the main market is right now, Um, or if it's for regulatory compliance. Uh, These voluntary uh, carbon offset purchases are by companies who want to say that they are carbon neutral. Uh, You know, they're not required to do this, but they want to do it either because they think it's good uh, public relations or they want to demonstrate, you know, a sincere concern for uh, global warming. On the other hand, regulatory purchases would be for say somebody like a, a coal-fired power plant or a cement manufacturer uh, that generate a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and have to reduce those. Um, if the regulatory program let them do it, uh, they could purchase some of these offsets uh, instead of having to uh, do all the reductions by changing their business.
0: So producers might be looking at either voluntary or regulatory carbon markets, like you mentioned. So can you explain the differences?
1: Well, uh, as far as these carbon offsets are concerned, the main difference is the degree of verification. Uh, voluntary markets are voluntary. Uh, there are There is no required level of verification. So in the voluntary market, you know, if you want to buy cheap carbon offsets, uh, the offsets that you buy may be reducing a lot less carbon than uh, what the, the seller, uh, the aggregator, uh, the company that's selling these uh, says they might be. On the other hand, on the regulatory market, uh, uh, the regulators want the carbon emissions to go down. And so before they're going to let anybody use offsets uh, as opposed to you know reducing, Uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the economy, say from a power plant or the cement plant we talked about before, or from cars or whatever it might be, uh, they want to make sure that that these uh, carbon offsets are for real. That ton for ton, they really are a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, Right now, there's not much of a market for the regulatory uh, carbon offsets, but uh, so the main market is is this voluntary one, which is the sort of public... public relations and showing uh, concern for uh, global warming.
0: How does farming fit into the big picture here?
1: Well, um, ag and uh, forestry uh, could store up to 20% of the current uh, annual uh, United States greenhouse gas emissions uh, if they received sufficient financial incentives uh, to adopt, you know, all the practices we talked about before, uh, and used them to increase uh, soil carbon storage. And the payment estimates range from $10 a ton to over $100 a ton. And so the ones that, uh, you know, like cover crops and stuff are, are the ones that are a little cheaper uh, to implement. Doesn't You don't have to pay the farmer as much to get them to do it. Uh, and But if you're gonna, you know, do a lot more, uh, of this uh, carbon storage to try to get it to that 20% of current emissions, uh, then it's going to be a lot more expensive. And, and a lot of the companies who are in the carbon market right now are really doing it just to kind of uh, see if they can, you know, if they can do everything that they might need to do uh, to qualify in the regulatory market, uh, if that if that uh, takes off here in the next in the next few years, so they're you know they're they're negotiating contracts with farmers. Uh, they're they're the farmers are agreeing to share uh, all the data that they collect uh, from their you know all of their operations throughout the growing season, uh, you know, the soil samples and and all of this kind of stuff to try and determine how much carbon is actually being uh, stored, how much additional carbon is actually being stored uh, through this process. And then, uh, you know, if these pilot programs prove to be successful, then they might uh, ramp those up if they see that there's uh, people who need to buy these things and are willing to pay for them.
0: Great. And you also write about a question that a lot of producers probably have when they first start looking into this, which is the difference between carbon markets and a carbon bank. So what's important to understand about each of these?
1: What we've been talking about right now is are the carbon markets, you know, the voluntary and the regulatory. A carbon bank, on the other hand, is is really different. Uh, just think of it as being a new uh, conservation practice uh, through the farm program, but one that has the specific goal of increasing carbon storage on the farm or on the ranch. And so uh, the, one of the things that the Biden administration is talking about and Secretary Vilsack are talking about are doing a pilot program where farmers are offered financial incentives to engage in some of these practices you know, to do cover crops or, or some of these other, uh, these other um, uh, conservation practices. And, um, you know, it'd be like you're bidding land into the conservation reserve. Uh, you know, they, they take the low bids and, uh, and, and like that. So it would be a lot more like a uh, conservation farm program that farmers and ranchers are already familiar with, Uh, And it's not there to try to generate credits for uh, the carbon markets. Rather, it's to increase uh, uh, carbon uh, storage on uh, U.S. farms and ranches.
0: Okay. And what's your advice for farmers and ranchers out there entering into carbon agreements?
1: Well, I think we've got somebody else who's going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. But the one thing I would look for is what happens if something goes wrong? Uh, what happens if, if uh, uh, say, because of bad weather or something like that, the producer is unable to implement the practice? Uh, do they have to pay financial penalties? Uh, will they just have to refund payments that they might have received? Uh, that would be the first thing that I would look at to see if, you know, if something goes wrong, what's it gonna cost me? Uh, because this, you know, I don't think these contracts come with a get out of jail pre card.
0: All right. Well, certainly a developing issue, and as it does evolve, we'll have more updates for people out there on farm.unl.edu. So keep up with that. Dave Aiken is a water and agricultural law specialist and professor here in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Ryan. This has been Nebraska Farmcast, a production of the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For decision-making tools, articles, podcasts, videos, and more, visit us online at farm.unl.edu.